Hey folks, Sam Jones here. Welcome to another edition of Off Camera, the show where I get to talk to iconic, creative, curious artists and find out how they got that way. And in this episode, I'm going to talk to iconic, creative, curious listeners and find out exactly what they want to know about Off Camera. That's right, it's the third annual Off Camera Call-In Show. So for the next couple hours, I'm going to pick up the phone and I'm going to talk to anyone who calls in and we'll find out what's on your mind as off-camera listeners and people who have stuck with the show for a long time. I'm in the studio here with our producer, Crawford Shippey, and our editor, sound man extraordinaire, Nathan Shields. Hi, guys. Hello. Hi there. <laughs> and we're just going to eat snacks and take calls and sort of find out what's on your mind. So let's get started. Let's take our first call. All right, so we're going to take our first call. There's someone on the line here named Megan. Hey, is this Megan? Hi, this is Megan. Hey, Megan. It's Sam. How you doing? Oh, man, I'm good, and now I'm drenched in sweat. Oh, man. <laughs> Me too, but only because uh, it's really hot over here. Freezing in New York, so I'm a little jealous. Oh, yeah? Are you, uh, do you live right in the city? I do. I live right in the city, in the financial district. Nice. Are you a stockbroker? opposite. No, I'm actually a director. Oh, nice. Okay, well, tell me what's on your mind. Um, am I allowed to start off with a little bit of praise for you and the show? Is that, is that allowed? I will allow it. <laughs> so I actually found your show I found it this past year, and immediately upon listening to one episode, I sent it over to my dad, and you have now become a weekly topic of discussion between the two of us. He he actually beat me in the binge listening race. Really? He might be your oldest oldest podcast listener, but um, yeah, the two your show has now brought the two of us closer to each other. God, that's so nice to hear. And I hope when my daughters are older that they're going to want to talk to their old man about stuff they find creatively. That just sounds great. Anyway, so thank you to you guys and the whole team that you have there. It's great. Oh, thanks. Um, I'm kind of like you. I'm a photographer director whose professional work um, early, earlier in the earlier part of my career has mostly been in the documentary space. Right. So you do have like, these ambitions to break into more um, of the scripted world. Um, so that actor-director relationship as it relates to performance is kind of shrouded in mystery, and your show really raises the curtain into that world. So my question for you is, when you were starting out, when you were earlier on in your career, did you ever struggle with that director-actor dynamic? Did you feel like you lacked a certain set of vocabulary or lacked the ability to communicate vision as it relates to performance? You know, that's a great question because... I think everybody struggles with that in their own way, and we all are envious of others who have different paths than ours. And, and one of the things about being a director or a documentarian or a photographer is that we're all on our own little islands, and so we don't get to go and sit around watching those relationships. So I, I think it's a common feeling. And for sure, like you said, we have had a similar path. And so, yeah, would I have liked to have come up through film school or or through drama school or have been in plays or absolutely because it is mysterious like how do you talk to actors how do you get a performance out and there is no substitute for experience but i will say when you're on a set with an actor everybody is trying to make it feel like a documentary do you know what i mean like 
the goal there is the same as the goal for a documentary, which is how can I make this seem as truthful and real as possible? And so I think the same skills apply. If you're a documentary filmmaker, you are listening intently to your subject to try to understand them and try to see them and know where to go next. And even though there's a script in a narrative project, there's still that same desire by the actor to make this believable as if it was a documentary. So I think one of the greatest skills of, in being a director is to be able to really be present and listen. And you can take that skill from a documentarian perspective and apply that, I think. And the other thing you can do is reach out to people that you admire and say, can I come to your set and can I watch? And most people, I think, are flattered to have someone interested in what they do. And I've done that myself. I've, I've shadowed directors and and sat on set and tried to pick up on those things. But I think that if you're prepared and if you know what you want, that's your security blanket. Because then you can always fall back on how you prepared, but you're open to discovering in the moment that you can handle a situation like that anyway. So I guess what I'm saying is there's no substitute for experience, but if you can trust yourself and prepare for it, then it'll work out if it's supposed to. Well, thank you. There's one thing that I, I've learned over the last two and a half years is that if, you know, I step onto a set and I don't have that feeling of fear, um, then it's, I feel like you're doing something wrong, right? It's like that ability to say, like, okay, I'm really out of my comfort zone, but, um, you know, I'm going to learn so much uh, in this moment and from, from these couple days that I have. So thank you. I, that, that advice is just fantastic. And I will, I will reach out, <laughs> and I will, I will ask um, just to even, you know, I, to prepare, um, to even to come to that, be prepared on my own set um, from learning from other people. So thank you. Yeah, it's really great. Absolutely. Well, thanks for calling in, Megan, and tell your dad hello for me, and I uh, hope you guys binge them all. Uh, we have. So I'm doing right every single episode. Well, that is flattering. Thank you. Thank you, Sam. All right. Bye. All right, Crawford, who's on the phone now? We got Diego, who is a 14-year-old. Oh, good. I like the young listeners, although why aren't they in school? Let's find out. <laughs> hi, this is Sam. Who am I talking to? Oh, hi. Um, I'm Diego. Hi, Diego. Welcome to the show, our silly little call-in show here. How you doing? Uh, pretty good. I was, I was just wondering, because like, I'm 14 right now. Yeah? Why aren't you in school? Are you out of school today? Yeah, we're on vacation right now. Gosh, it's, what is it? It's January whatever. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah. Well, I was just kind of wondering, because, like, I want to be a, an actor when I grow up. And I was just wondering, like, because you've met a lot of actors, if you could give advice on, like, what to do. Wow. Well, I wish I had an easy answer, Diego, because that'd be nice if the world was full of easy answers. But I think that you've picked a profession that doesn't have a clear path to success. And one thing I've learned from having a ton of actors on this show is that everyone sort of figured out their own way to do it. But I can tell you that they all were, I think one of the things that every actor has in common that's been on this show and has achieved great success is that they've figured out that no one's going to hand something to them. And so they have become self-starters. Have you heard of that term? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really important to develop this ability to make your own work and make your own luck and get yourself involved in things. Like, 
there's the obvious things like take any opportunity to be in any anybody's play, anybody's short film, anybody's weird little YouTube project, and just do as much as you can. Try to develop a community of other people that want to do what you want to do. And are your parents supportive of your chosen profession? Um, I was listening to uh, like this podcast about Robin Williams and how his dad told him to get like a profession before he started acting, like a backup career. Yeah. What they want me to do too. They want me to get like a a career, uh, like a like any career, like a degree first, and then pursue it. But I don't know. I'm not sure if that's for me. You know, I think where your parents are coming from with that is that it's scary because the odds are stacked against you in any entertainment field. And, and on one hand, I understand where your parents are coming from, but on the other hand, I do feel like a lot of the people that have come on this show did not have a backup plan, and it was that risk that made them work really hard. So what I would suggest is how serious can you get about acting and how much can you put into it and how much can you still keep up everything else you're supposed to do in your life in terms of grades or college or whatever because you know there are many prestigious colleges out there that have amazing acting programs and you'll come out with a backup career whether you want it or not if you put your head down and work really hard to get into one of those programs because you'll have all kinds of knowledge in the arts so I would say if you're serious then no one's gonna be able to talk you out of it and you're gonna figure it out but what you have to do is accept the idea that there's no given path or there's no one right answer to this. You just have to work your butt off. Does that help or does that scare you? A bit of both. <laughs> you know, Matt Damon on this show said every time he meets a kid who wants to be an actor, he tries to talk them out of it. And he says, because if I can sit down in one conversation and talk somebody out of it, then they were never going to make it anyway. So don't let anyone talk you out of it if you're serious about it. And then you'll figure it out. Yeah. All right, buddy. All right. All right. Well, good luck. Thanks for calling, Diego. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Hey, folks. Hope you're enjoying the call-in show so far. I love talking to listeners. I love sitting back and hearing their stories. And all of these calls are brought to you by our sponsors. And one of our sponsors that we've had for a long time, and I'm glad they're back so I can tell you about them today, is Helix Sleep. Because Helix Sleep started with us a long time ago, and those folks were kind enough to send me a Helix Sleep mattress for me to try out before I became a sponsor of their products. And I woke up on a Helix Sleep mattress this morning. So, I consider myself a bit of an expert in what I'm about to tell you. So, Helix Sleep is a mattress company that delivers a mattress straight to your door, and I know you've heard of those services from other mattress companies, but they also have a really unique way of finding the best mattress for you. They have a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and it matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. So my personal experience was when they wanted to come on as a sponsor for the show, they asked me to take the quiz and I did. And my whole life, I thought I've been a firm mattress kind of person. I've always had sort of lower back issues. I do a lot of skateboarding, motorcycle surfing, all that stuff, lower back issues. I was always a firm mattress person. I took their quiz and they recommended a medium mattress for me at the end, and I was like, that can't be right. And then the mattress showed up, and I've had the best sleep of my life ever since getting it. So either I would just got bad information at the beginning, or Helix has this process that actually reveals to you what you're supposed to be sleeping on. So I've had a great experience with the company, and that's why I'm telling you about them today. 
And whether you're a side sleeper or a hot sleeper, you like a plush or a firm bed, with Helix there's no more confusion and no more compromising on an average mattress. Helix Sleep was even awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2019 by GQ and Wired Magazine. So you gotta try this out. You just go to helixsleep.com slash off camera, you take their two minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. They even have a 10 year warranty and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk free. I'm not sure how that works. That must only work because no one returns the mattresses. Because can you imagine if like a bunch of people were returning old mattresses, that company would go out of business. But clearly, they're not going out of business. They're great, so you should try it. And they'll even pick up the mattress for you if you don't love it. So for listeners of Off Camera, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders. You just go to helixsleep.com slash off camera and get your $200 off your mattress and experience what I've been experiencing for the last year or so. That's helixsleep.com slash off camera for up to $200 off of your mattress order. Now let's get back to the show. Let's take another call. This one's from Carol. Hi, is this Carol? Yes. Hey, Carol, it's Sam. Thanks for calling in. Thanks for doing this. Where are you calling from? I'm calling from Reynolds, Georgia. Wait, is this Silver Feather, Carol? Yeah. Well, you've called him before. Thanks for calling in again. What's on your mind? Um, I wanted to ask, if you ever get what they call artist block, like, do you ever get that place where you just don't have any ideas? Yeah, absolutely I do. And I think that's a common thing. And you always wonder where the next idea is going to come from and how you conjure it up and everything. But, you know, it's funny, I, I was talking to a friend of mine who says that they don't believe in writer's block because they think that it's just the way you get rid of writer's block is by writing. And I think the advice and the lesson there is, and this comes in many forms, you know, you've heard the cure for writer's block is ass plus seat. And I think that that's something I try to remember that a passive mind is rarely something that's going to help you at all. Like, I think if you sit down and start doing something active to make your mind work, figuring out a problem to solve, that usually gets things going in the right direction. And sometimes it's almost like you have to play a game with your mind. For instance, if you sat down and said, I have to come up with, I don't know, an idea for a sitcom in the 80s, and you said, I'm not going to get up from this desk until I have five log line pitches for a sitcom from the 80s. You could probably do that. And that may not be the thing you want to write, but by the time you're done doing that, something may have got sparked or a channel might have gotten open. And that's for me, you know, funny thing about growing up as a photographer is that I was always trying to come up with photo ideas, which are visual, but I found that the way to come up with visual ideas was to write. And if I sat down and started writing the dumbest things I could think of or the most outrageous things that I can never do, that very exercise opened up my brain and all of a sudden there'd be an idea there because it's almost like you can't turn on that tap directly. You have to somehow get it flowing and then you know get your brain going in one direction and then it remembers how to do that. Almost like a memory. You know how, you know how you'll be sitting at the dinner table and someone will say, tell a story about I don't know, some river they swam in, and all of a sudden you'll remember, you'll remember a story from your own life that you couldn't have thought of unless that prompt was given to your brain. And I think it's the same way with writer's block. I think you have to sit down and almost trick your brain into solving a problem or working a puzzle, and then it, and then it gets going. Oh, that, that makes 
good sense, yeah. That's what I got for you. Yeah, um, you know, I don't write to get a book published or whatever, but I love to write, like I keep a journal. And um, there's a thing that's fun for me that's like um, stream of consciousness writing. You know, don't really think, you just write. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about, yeah. Or, or create a little puzzle for yourself to solve. Okay, that sounds fun. Yeah, try that. And, um, you know, again, Carol, thanks for listening and for tuning into the show all these years. I appreciate it. And uh, it's nice to hear your voice. So good to talk to you. And um, thank you for all of your inspiration. Uh, I'm lucky to get to do it. Thanks for calling, Carol. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You know, it's funny. Carol's asking me a question about writer's block or artist block. And you realize that after having so many conversations with successful people, all of these topics have come up on the show and often I don't even realize I have little pieces of wisdom that I've collected from all these artists, but what a great thing that I get to meet these people who have solved these problems and, and have these little pieces of wisdom to share. That's exciting to me. So I, I hope that helps. I hope, I guess if we see a super great 80s sitcom next season, we'll know who's responsible. <laughs> all right. Who do we got next, Crawford? Who, uh, who are we talking to? We've got Charlie. Let's talk to Charlie. Oops, Charlie might have just hung up. Oh, did we lose Charlie? Uh, looks like Charlie was. I think we left Charlie on hold for too long. <laughs> Let's try. What uh, else we got, Crawford? We got Andy. Call back, Charlie, <laughs> if you're listening to this and you have a time machine. Who's next, Crawford? We got, we got Isabella. Nope, we do not have Isabella. Oh, but did we just <laughs> lose her too? <laughs> yeah. They're dropping like flies. Hey, you know what? I said at the beginning, when we first started this show, that it's for people with long attention spans. Yes. So, yes. Um, uh, we better hit Andy. Okay, anyway. Andy. <laughs> Hi, is this Andy? It is. It's Sam. How you doing? Hey, Sam. Doing well. How are you? Happy New Year. <laughs> Thank you. Where are you calling from? I am calling from Philadelphia. Really? Well, what's on your mind? Oh, thank you. What do you do on the road? Uh, I'm a salesman right now for a soda company. You're peddling sugar to the to the kids? Exactly. <laughs> Gourmet sugar. Oh, yeah? What, what soda? Can we say it on the air? Yeah, sure. It's called uh, Hank's Beverages. Okay, I've heard of those. Yeah, I'm known for a root beer and everything. God, I loved a good root beer float as a kid. It was like, you know, a big scoop of vanilla ice cream, plop it in your root beer. If you ever are in Philly and you stop at the Reading Terminal Market... Go to Bassett's Ice Cream, the oldest ice cream in the country. Our root beer is there. We're paired up with them, and uh, they make a mean root beer float. Okay, good to know. Um, Anyone listening to this in Philadelphia, go over there and flash mob a root beer float into existence and tweet about it. Well, what's on your mind, Andy? Yeah, I just wanted to know if the portraits that you take of all your guests, if they reflect Oh, that's a good question, because before I did this show and I would make portraits for magazines and things like that, there was always this conundrum of how to sort of get to know someone well enough to let their guard down to really make pictures of them without the subject feeling, you know, protective or or closed off or whatever it was. And one of the most fascinating things about this show is that after 
we chat for an hour on camera and we go over into the studio, all that work is done. And I feel like there's nothing more I have to do specifically to make a portrait that reflects who these people are because they're already sort of open and trusting because of the conversation we just had. So I think I've changed as a photographer doing this show because it goes both ways. After we finish talking, I'm certainly not gonna go into this mode where I'm trying to talk someone into doing something they don't wanna do or an idea that makes them uncomfortable. And it feels like a much more human interaction. And whether or not that always is reflected in the portraits, I don't know. You know, sometimes I have a very specific idea and if the guest is in on it, we can make a funny picture. But other times, I think it's fascinating to just sit across from somebody with a camera after them, you know, sharing stories of their life, intimate, you know, details and vulnerabilities and just take their picture. And I just love, I love that process. So um, I do find that I can get there more quickly and more authentically now than I've ever been able to do before. That's great. Yeah, and, and it may be something that people wonder, but we always do the photograph second and we do the yeah. interview first because I think for that very reason that being photographed is a very awkward thing for most people, whether you're an actor or not. And it took me a while in my career to become aware that not to take that personally if the person wasn't having a great time having their picture taken. But yeah, the, the off-camera definitely changes the dynamic of it. So yeah, I appreciate the question. Well, I'm sure like a lot of your listeners, we appreciate you and the stories that you have to share with everyone and the stories you extract from all these famous celebrities. And it's really cool to just see how, you know, they're humans too. So. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I think that one of the things about being human is you, you can't not be human. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and I think given the forum and the time, most people get to express that. And if that happens on my show, it sort of makes you realize that, you know, our, our soundbite culture and our little five-minute exposures to these folks often don't tell the story of who they are at all. So for me, it's been fascinating to get to know the human side of these people that I've admired. So I appreciate you picking up on that. And I'm definitely going to go have a root beer float in your honor. And uh, thanks for listening. Absolutely. Thank you. Have a great year. All right. Bye, Andy. God, the root beer float. That is a blast from the past. I will tell you guys a quick story. I grew up in Fullerton, California, and we did not have any scheduled activities. But for the most part, we would spend our weekends looking for trouble in town. We would get ice blocks and slide down the golf course hills until we got kicked out, or we would climb on the roof of the school and play a dangerous version of tag with a hard ball that we would throw at each other while running on these rooftops. We would shoot fireworks into various gaggles of people that didn't want fireworks shot at them. All kinds of things. But one thing we would do often is go down to the A&W shack and get lunch and get a root beer float. And it is crazy how you can hear just the word root beer and remember your old childhood. Anyway, enough about root beer. Let's get to another call. Who do we got, Crawford? We got Isabella. Isabella. All right. On to. On to. Is this Isabella? Hi. Yes, this is her. What's on your mind, Isabel? Or is it Isabella or Isabel? Okay, and where are you from? I'm from Colorado originally. And where are you now? I'm in Liverpool, England. Oh, you're in Liverpool. Do you know I was in Liverpool this summer with my kids? I, I do, yeah. I'm pretty sure I saw it on an Instagram post or something. Oh, 
gosh, for a minute I thought you were some crazy stalker, and then I realized, oh yeah, everybody knows where everyone is all the time. Yeah. Yes, but I really enjoy Liverpool. What do you do there? So I'm at the Liverpool Institute for Performing Arts. I go to university out there. I'm in my second year. Oh, that's incredible. And is that is that the one that has the statue out in front with the, all the guitar cases, or is that a different school? It is, yeah. Paul McCartney founded school. Wow, that's so cool. So are you're, what, what are you studying? I'm studying acting out there. Oh, that's so fantastic. Is it crazy that you're, like, right there in the heart of that, all that history? And It's amazing. I mean, it's amazing. Like, I've met some of the most amazing people being out there, and, like, I've just been given some of, like, the craziest opportunities and everything. I think it's just about, like, everyone says, like, you're meant to be, like, you're, it's, like, college will find you and you're meant to be doing what you're supposed to, like, you know what I mean? And I think... For sure, Liverpool is, like, the perfect place for me to end up because I've always wanted to, like, live in England ever since I was little. Oh, that's so fantastic. Not good for you. Well, what's on your mind? Um, okay, so since I attend a school for acting, I was just wondering what advice you have for someone who's, like, embarking and having a fresh start in the acting business. Right. Well, you know, this wasn't my... I, I was never an actor, but... I think some parallels with any creative career come up for me, and I'll actually tell you a story about my brother, because he wanted to be a ballet dancer, and actually now has a ballet company that's very successful and and is doing well, but he came to me at one point and wanted to talk through his choice of whether to stay in Milwaukee or go to New York, and I was like, uh... Get the hell out of Milwaukee. Not that Milwaukee isn't a great place to dance ballet, but at a certain point, you're going to want to find out if you have the ability to play with, I mean, all the sports cliches you want, play with the big boys or whatever. But the point being that in any creative field, you have two kinds of people. You have people who want to immediately look for safety and stability, and you have other people who are like, well, I have... 100 bucks in my pocket and no job, and I'm going to take the train into New York. So my first suggestion would be go someplace where the people doing your highest level of craft are doing it and dive in completely because at least you'll get to the knowledge of whether you're supposed to be doing this quicker. And I think that, you know, especially for being an actor, there are a few places where that happens, and it happens on the highest level, and so that's where the best teachers are, that's where the best theater is, that's where the best scene study partners, you're going to find it's where the best bookstores and everything, you're, you're going to find that. That's going to be either London or New York or Chicago or L.A. Yeah. And I think that that's step one. And step two is to just make yourself busy every day and make your own luck. You know, read plays, go audition for anything, go volunteer for student films and short internet things and small theater and try to become a working actor as quickly as you can. And don't worry about the size of the work or the prestige of the work. Just work. And you'll find out if you love it. You know, and then, and then when your opportunity comes, you'll be ready for it. Yeah. You know, when I was coming up as a photographer, the general advice was to go assist another photographer, which is sort of great advice in one way, and that is that you get to see the, the industry and you get to make connections and, and you're on sets and stuff. But for me... I did not want to do that. I wanted to be working. Yeah. And I saw assistants who, they sort of, some became full-time assistants and some, I think, 
it just was too daunting to come on set with a photographer who had it all together and had a big client or whatever it was, and they just couldn't even see how to make it from where they were to where they wanted to be. And so my suggestion to anyone who wants to do anything in the arts is just go do it, you know, and find out if you love it. And if you love it, you're already further along than most people. Yeah. And uh, do you want to be in film and television or do you want to be on stage? Um, it's kind of a toss up for me because I love both. I mean, I know that film and television is like pretty much where most of the money falls and that's kind of where all the big bucks are, but I've always loved performing in front of a live audience. I think it gives you a different thrill than film and television does. Well, I think also if you go do that first, you will always have a respect and a love of your craft that came from really working hard and and doing it for something other than a big break or a lot of money. I, I think that every actor that I've had on this show, I would say, I mean, I have the, we obviously weirdly get the most talented, successful people on here, and they all did theater. Robert Downey started in the theater, you know? I just watched that episode the other day. My mom tapes every episode. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Well, thank your mom for me, and, and yeah, I just, don't worry about the money. You're young and clearly you've made it all the way over there and you're okay. So before you have kids and mortgage and all that stuff, just go. Because that's the thing about film and TV is that it's 95% trying to get the job and 5% doing the job in terms of the, how you spend your time. But if you go get something in theater, you're going to be doing your job more and you're going to find out if you love it. That's my five cent advice for you. Thank you. Or my half shilling advice. Take the biggest swing you can and go for it. Seize your opportunity right now. Yeah. And then, in terms of photography, because that's another big passion of mine, what was the best piece of advice given to you by a mentor in terms of, like, your photography career? You know, it's funny. It, it's almost the same advice. When I was in yeah. college and taking a photography class, w one of my teachers who became my mentor was a working photographer at, at our Los Angeles newspaper and his advice was go out and try to get yourself published and try to be at the places where things are happening and so it was like go work don't sit there waiting for an opportunity go out and work but I, I would also say with photography from an artistic standpoint one of the best pieces of advice I ever received was it's not what you leave in the picture that makes it great it's what you take out and that applies to every artistic endeavor ever which is simpler is always better like the more clear your vision is, the better your art will be. And a lot of people think art is being really complicated and touching on every theme and, and covering everything, but it's really not. It's really about having a really pure, simple vision. And that was a huge thing for me with photography. So that's what I got for you. Well, that's amazing. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Well, good luck, Issa, and um, try to enjoy your time over there, and I hope to hear from you again. Cheers. Bye-bye. Cheers. Well, that's cool, all the way from Liverpool, England. I, I like that this show has reach. It's exciting. I like also that her mom tapes the show. Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. I think she sends her, like, VHS tapes. I don't know how. I, I don't know if anyone that. has taped how the show. She Should we tell her it's a podcast, too? <laughs> all right, who, who do we got next oh, here? Well, we got Justin. Justin, all right. Let's try Justin. Hey, Justin. It's Sam. How you doing? Hi, Sam. I'm well. How are you? Good. Where are you calling from? Um, I'm calling from New York City. Awesome. How's New York today? Um, actually, it's been kind of warm. Uh, warmer than usual for around this time. You know, they call that global warming. 
Well, what's on your mind, Justin? Um, well, I, I was actually watching uh, your most one of your most recent interviews uh, where you were talking about uh, you've always had so many different things that you wanted to kind of tackle. Uh, you, you never really had like, like that one thing that you were known for, and I really related to that. And I, I wanted to know what would you suggest for someone who's who's like that, you know, an artist who has a lot of different things that they you know want to accomplish and want to achieve. Well, you know, I think it's a different question depending on where you are in your career, and and. Believe me, I've been there and struggled with this my whole life. And I think if you're just starting out, if you're just out of school or you're, you're just out on your own, your job, if you have multiple interests, is to self-educate in a way that fuels your passion because you have a great desire to know why it is that you like so many things or, or if, if there's something you haven't found yet. One of the hardest things about loving everything is you always wonder what you're missing. You know, I always sort of look at people like, you know, whoever it is, LeBron James or, you know, Miles Davis. And I was like, wow, that must have been really easy because they love this thing so much they didn't even get distracted by anything else. But if you love so many things, then, then it almost feels like you're shortchanging yourself if you get too into one thing. And that's sort of beautiful. I think I'd rather be somebody with a bunch of interests than somebody who was just consumed by one because we get one go around on this earth and... I want to experience as much as possible. So I would say that if you're just starting out, go out and just spend all the time in the world diving into the things you love. And I think that you do have to force yourself to dig into one for a while and feel what it feels like to become an expert, to become really well-versed at something, because that will help you with everything else. And then the advice changes, I think, as you're older. And, and if you've had success at something and you want to switch careers, then the task is how do you apply all the things you learn by your first pursuit to the second pursuit? And how do you give yourself a break? And how do you give yourself the opportunity to start over and sort of give something up where you found some success? And I've gone through all of that. And, you know, as, as I was becoming a photographer and starting to get more success, it became more consuming because I had more opportunity in it. But that was because I put a bunch of effort into it. But I always felt like I was not doing the other things I wanted to do. But by doing that, I think I definitely developed a work ethic and some wisdom along the way about how to approach any pursuit. So I would say if you're just starting out, you have to find your thing and follow your gut and listen to yourself above all others. And then once you find something you think can sustain you, you gotta put the time in, you know what I mean? And you gotta put your head down and do it. Yeah, trust that. I also think that people like us that have multiple interests, we also have a pretty good engine in terms of being able to work hard. And that's important because I think that while maintaining my interests in other things, I put enough work into photography to exist on the same playing field as the people I admired in photography. And, and that, that was really helpful. You know? And I, I think that if, if you are this way, and you want to do several things, you just have to accept that part of that is going to be, you're going to, it's going to be like holding down two or three jobs at the same time. You know, yeah. it's that kind of effort, but that's where the joy is. New York has definitely taught, taught me a lot of, a lot of, the, a lot of the things that you're, you're telling me now. And, you know, I, I feel, I feel pretty proud of myself right now. I mean, I know I have a long way to go, but 
as far as like discipline, you know, that's something that I, I've always struggled with, discipline and, and focus. So I, I'm finally starting to make, make some headway, but really, really thank you for that. I, um, I've always been just so inspired by your show. Uh, actually, I, I don't know if you remember, but a few years ago, I mean, I know you probably get a lot of emails, um, but I, I emailed you uh, just thanking you for, you know, what you do on your show and giving artists a voice and a platform to really be themselves um, without any agenda. Um, and I, I had referenced the Andrew Garfield show, and uh, I, I had no expectation of you emailing back, and you did. And so that's something that's really amazing about what you do, and, you know, I, I'm really, thank you. I appreciate that. And you know what? That's another good way to live life. Do things that are important to you without any expectation. You know, like when I was in college, I was a skateboarder and I was really into it. And we had this, we had this uh, theory about the UPS truck because we were stuck up in Washington where there was, you know, we were snowbound with very little to do except for to read old skateboard magazines. And occasionally we would order a new set of wheels or a board from the back of the magazine. And, and back then it would take forever for it to arrive. So we would always say, there's no way the UPS truck is coming today. And that was how we managed our expectations. So when it did come, it felt so good. But when it didn't come, it was fine. And I think there's a lesson there, which is don't have expectations because they can really ruin the joy of what you're doing. And, and I think that if you love what you're doing and you're doing it not because you want to get rich or have a different life or change your station, but just because you love the act of doing it in the present, good things usually follow. So uh, Absolutely. And I, I feel like that's also where really the magic happens too. Well, thanks a lot for, for listening and, and uh, for calling in and good luck with everything, Justin. Thank you so much, man. Take care. Hey folks, let's take another little break from the call-in show while we wait for the phone lines to light up again. And I'll take this opportunity to tell you about another sponsor of ours this week, and that is Sunbasket. When they say you are what you eat, it's not intended to be a joke. And no one's laughing after that 2 a.m. convenience store burrito or that weird taquito that was left over in your fridge. Juice cleanse, intermittent fasting, carb cycling. You know, especially for me as I get older, there's this desire to stay in shape, stay healthy, and you think more about what you're putting in your body. But I think that there's also a lot of energy spent just trying to come up with a system that works for you. But the truth is, it's really simple. You just have to eat healthy, you have to cook for yourself, and you have to know what's going into your food. And a lot of people don't have time for that. But with Sun Basket, you can put that whole process on autopilot. You know, doing your weekly meal prep is worth it for your waistline, your wallet, but you know the work it takes. And Sun Basket makes that work easy and fun. No matter what your lifestyle is, Sun Basket caters to what your idea of healthy is with delicious recipes for all kinds of dietary preferences, including paleo, gluten-free, Mediterranean, vegetarian, pescatarian. I personally am a baconarian, and, and I will say they cater to me too with that. They make it easy and convenient with everything pre-portioned and ready to prep and cook. Now you've heard of these services before, but Sun Basket makes this process really easy and you know everything that you're eating and all their produce and all of their herbs and their garlic, everything is fresh and it's all ready to go. And we had a really good experience doing Sun Basket in our home. And it was almost like just taking out the step of shopping, but everything else felt like I was still preparing a meal from scratch. It was just easy, 
the proportions were all there and it made it quicker and yet I didn't feel like I was skimping on any part of the process. Each week, Sunbasket offers at least 14 recipes to choose from, so you can try mouth-watering dishes such as salmon burgers with lemon dill mayo, gingered steak stir-fry with broccoli, and Mediterranean garlic shrimp with Spanish rice. I had that one, it was really good. And they also have this turkey bolognese that was really good, and I even put it in my kids' lunch the next day. So they know what they're doing in the recipe department, and they make it easy. Plus, Sunbasket has delicious options for an on-the-go breakfast, lunch, snacks, and more, so you can make sure your busy schedule does not get in the way of eating well. And, as you know, Sunbasket is delivered straight to your door. You can order from any recipes across their menu, skip a week whenever you need to, or double up on recipes for company. And right now, Sunbasket is offering $35 off your order when you go right now to sunbasket.com slash off-camera and enter the promo code off-camera at checkout. That's sunbasket.com slash off-camera and enter the promo code off-camera at checkout for $35 off your order. Now let's get back to the calls. Who's that, Heather? Uh, on Heather on line four. Heather on line four. Hi, Heather, it's Sam. Wow, hi. Thanks for calling. Where are you calling from? Yes, Augusta, Georgia. From Georgia. This is the second Georgia call we've had. That's kind of Yeah, I noticed the southern accent, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm getting pretty good at placing these accents because actually our producer Crawford is from Georgia as well. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Yeah. We, wow, we, I can't believe I'm talking to you. Well, I can't believe I'm talking to you. <laughs> what, what, is, uh, what is on your mind? Are you, what do you do for a living first off? So I am a, I kind of call it therapist turned online entrepreneur, content creator. I left my nine to five a couple years ago and went into podcasting full time and an online business that I really felt called to create. And my question to you is one of the things I just love about your show and what you've been able to create is this almost sense of like intimacy. And I know that you are in person with your guests, but even as a listener, I feel like I'm in the ring with you guys. And the way you've been able to create that and create that space between listener and host and listener and guest is just so beautiful. And with my show, you know, we're about 250-something episodes in, and I do Zoom interviews. So I'm meeting people all over, but it's it's on a Zoom call. And I've just been asking myself, I'm like, oh, how can I bring more creativity, more intimacy, more of that personal feel in an interview where I'm kind of limited, you know, physically limited to not able to have that since we are a distance away and also to not being able to kind of repurpose some of that content in creative ways. I love how you guys have the show and you're able to do the pictures and all of that. And I just love your thoughts and advice like from a creative standpoint of how to how to create more intimacy in your show when you don't have an in-person studio. And also, I don't know, any tips you have on being so good at bridging the gap between listener and host and making us feel so a part of the process. Right. Well, thanks for your question. You know, it's funny. The reason I don't do the show remotely is because I don't know if I know how to make that environment happen or that effect happen over Skype or Zoom or whatever whatever method. And, and it's funny because one of the people I really admire in radio is Terry Gross, who hosts Fresh Air on NPR. And she does all of her interviews exactly the way you do. She's in a studio by herself and her guests are calling in from all over the globe. And, and hers is one of the most intimate 
shows ever, and I was actually shocked when I found out that she wasn't in the room with these people. So it's certainly possible, but for me, I think that being in a room with somebody and getting a chance to chat with them before we go on and start the show and offering them a cup of tea or, or sitting down and having a little food first and, and just chatting and getting to know them is all a big part of it. I, I'm definitely an in-person person. So yeah. I wish I had better advice for you on how to do it remotely. But I'll tell you, I've, you know, I've been the guest on enough shows remotely. And I think the biggest problems you face is there are just always distractions. Hmm. And I think that's the thing I think is that when you can make all of those things go away in the room, like our room is set up to where there's only myself, the guest, one camera person and one sound person. And we try to just make that element of it go away. And I feel like a half hour into it, people are just having a conversation. And it, and it sort of happens because we're not paying attention. Like we're not highlighting any technical things or anything. It's just, I, I don't even like to break eye contact. Like I have my notes and I have, sometimes I'll have notes on my lap and sometimes I'll have a, a board behind them, but I never even look at them because what I find is that the mind wanders. That's just what our minds do. So to be a good listener and to really lean in to your guest, it can help them focus too. Mm. So, you know, that that's something that I've found happens in the room, and, I, and I'm not sure how it magically happens any other way. But I also think that really listening and not just moving on to your next question on your list, but really trying to branch off from something the guest said and really trying to pick up on something that got them excited. Like it, it, if I ask a question and I'm not loving the answer because it's not something that I imagine talking about, but I can see the guest getting excited about it, then immediately my job is to, to throw out my notes and say, okay, well, we're talking about, you know, 1970s Queens, New York right now, because that's what this person is excited about right now. So I'm going to, I'm going to dig into that and be curious about that. And that will focus somebody when they feel like they're really being listened to, you know, and you coming from being a therapist, obviously the, the whole key to therapy is, is being able to actively listen, right? And then know what to do with it. But but the listening part is huge, and that separates a good therapist from a bad therapist. And, and yeah, I think it's the hardest skill to, uh, to do and maintain and grow at. But if you can be a really active listener, that, I think, creates the intimacy. Man, I am so, so grateful I got to ask you these questions. And for your time, this was just unreal. Thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure, Heather. And good luck with your show. I mean, gosh, I've only done 219 shows. You've done 250. I should be asking you questions. I'm trying to get better, and the only way I know how to get better is just to keep producing, keep producing, keep producing more. Um, but you, I've drawn so much inspiration for what you guys have done because you're just so good, like I said, at intimacy, and I just, I'm hooked on it. So. Oh, thank you. And you know what? You're right. The more, the more you do something, the more you learn, and there's no substitute for experience, but also the willingness to ask questions. Like, I just think no matter how old we get, we've got to always be curious and always be trying to learn rather than trying to, like, be an expert. Like, the desire to be an expert is great, but the need to be an expert is, is bad. Does that make any sense? Mm. Maybe not. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, no, that's I'm, good. I'm a little lost in the, uh, the weeds here. But thank you for calling. Good luck with your show, and um, hopefully we'll hear from you again. Awesome. It was an honor. Thank you, sir. <laughs> bye, Heather. All right, bye. Uh, should, we, should we do a couple emails, or should we keep going on I calls? I think we should keep going, because we have some people waiting for a while. Okay. Let's try... Who's online two? Uh, Gina online two. All right. 
Hi, is this Gina? Yes. Hi, Gina, it's Sam. Thanks for calling. Hello. Where are you calling from today? Right here in West Hollywood, California. Well, you know what? You're actually our first local call of the day. So welcome. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, for the time you spent on hold, you could have almost driven down here. You're actually not wrong. <laughs> Sorry about that. Well, what do you got for me? Youngish, twenty-something uh, actress who I want to make sure all of my work leaves a positive, like role model, and continues to inspire other young women based on some of the experiences that I've gone through. And you talk about your daughters a lot, and I was just curious what you hope to see for them. Oh boy, that's a big question um, <laughs> that keeps changing because. They keep getting older and into different phases of their lives. So um, right now, I just like to see them want to talk to me a little bit and not go in their rooms and get on their phones. I, I think that no one tells you how scary being a parent is. Or when you look back at your own life, how many close scrapes we all have had where life could have gone a much more terrible way. I mean, I think of all the cars I got into in high school and college that I shouldn't have, and the chances I took and the dumb decisions I made before my frontal cortex formed or whatever happens in our adolescent years. But you know, I, so as a, as a father, my first priority is I just want to get them safely through this period in their lives where they are seemingly so vulnerable to, you know, just bad decisions or people not having their best interests in mind or, you know, this new world of social media that no one really knows the impact of. And those are obviously the fear side of things. But I think I also have a lot of trust that my daughters are, they both have good heads on their shoulders and they have tremendous potential to have amazing lives. But as a parent, it's, it's like, how do you guide them and how do you help them and how do you, you know, how do you shape them? And yeah. Um, but you know, I think if you think back to your own relationship with your own parents, there's so much leading that you can only do by example. And, you know, I wish I could be a 13 year old right now because right now they want to talk to their friends and they don't want to listen to adults, but hopefully I'm instilling in them by example. And I wish that, and I hope for them that they find role models in whatever they go into that will lead them by example, either personally or by proxy, and certainly uh, not only in roles for women and, and the way the women are portrayed in our stories, you know, film, television, yeah. literature, but also in the way those stories came to be and the way that the production went down on them. And, and, you know, what I hope for in this world is that with the dialogue that started in the last three or four years, that working conditions change enough to where I don't have to worry about my kids. I can send them off t to an opportunity that comes up without worrying that that person's going to take advantage of them. You know, without, without naming names, there's certainly, you know, people out there, mentors, people who are in positions to, to wield a lot of power who have, who have abused that power in the arts especially. And, or maybe we just hear about it in the arts because, because that's what people want to hear about. But... That's what, that's what I hope for my girls is not just that they find stories that give them positive role models, but that they find experiences where, where they can pursue their dreams without getting, without getting knocked down by, by a bad experience. And, yeah. and
and it's something you know that's so individualized and and you know as much as as much as say the handmaid's tale has an effect on women watching it how do you know i want to know the behind the scenes side of that and and how women are were treated and maybe not necessarily in that production but just in general you you got to assume they were treated pretty well in that production but just in general and 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 but I, I'll be the first to tell you that I don't have the answers and I don't know how to handle every situation. And I guess I just trust that with everything that comes up, hopefully I've raised kids that, that will listen and that will be aware and, and have the tools to deal with those things when they come up. But it's scary for sure. You know, I'm, and I'm curious, you know, you're in West Hollywood. I'm assuming you're uh, an actor. Yes. And you're in your 20s. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's one of those things where you have to navigate a lot of situations that you weren't prepared for until you were in them. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. There was um, one audition that in the breakdown, nudity was implied. And then in the room, I was asked to take off clothes. And, and I'm so lucky that I'm at an amazing acting studio led by women who are working in the industry, have worked for years. And have all, we talked very candidly about that, and I was like, no, that is not something I'm comfortable with, and just, like, accepted that maybe that meant I'm not going to get the job, and if that's what the job was going to be asking for anyways, that's not one that I wanted to be a part of. And you should be able to make that decision without thinking that that's going to blacklist you from other auditions, or that the person who sent you on that audition is, yeah, absolutely, and I, I think that, I mean... Good for you, number one, that you were able to do that right in the moment, but also that you know you felt like you could you could make that decision and and that you were supported. What a great resource! Yeah, and so we're we are having like a girls' night at our studio to talk to one of our instructors who has worked for a while, and just like okay, now we're kind of the more we advance in our careers, we're getting into more unfamiliar territory, and like help us, like how do we? still keep this strong voice like when it, the levels get pushed. I think that attitude is really good. And, and, and you know, I, I hate to be cynical about it, but I think for a long time the industry was set up to pit people against each other, and especially actresses. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I was going to say I am so lucky because, I mean, it's hard and it's a mentality that you have to work through. And I'm slowly, like... Surrounding myself with the most positive people, where when that people try to do that, we're like, no, your success does not hinder mine. We are there's room and space for all of us, and yeah. Well, it sounds like you're doing all the right things, and thank you. Uh, yeah, and I wish you all the luck in the world, and thank you for listening to the show and and for calling in. Oh, you just wait. Let's mark this down because I'm going to be on your show here soon. So I hope you are. You will be welcomed on, Gina. Good luck with everything. Yeah, you too. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. God, I, I got to say, I love when people call in and bring up stuff like that. And it's something I think about all the time with my kids. It's also so interesting that my kids are only a handful of years away from being in the position where she is. And how scary is that? And can the industry change any faster? <laughs> or can the world change any faster? Not just this industry. But I love that she called in and wanted to relate this show to raising kids and oh, what a nice call. Let's get to another one. Who do we have? Uh, we got Jennifer on line six. Jennifer on line six. Hey Jennifer, it's Sam. Thanks for calling in. Hi Sam. What's happening? Not much. Where are you calling from? 
St. Louis, Missouri. All right. Well, what's on your mind? Well, I'm, I'm curious. How do you decide what questions to ask? I'm really struck by when I listen to your um, your conversations. It's often information you don't really hear anywhere else. And the conversations you have with people, I find really striking. Um, I'm just curious how, how you go through that process and, and decide what questions you ask. Well, it's always a process of discovery because what I'm looking for is to try to find some theme that rises above whatever the current project is or whatever we sort of already know about the person that is coming on the show. And so oftentimes I just think about why I wanted them on in the first place and then I get really selfish and I think, well, what do I really want to learn, you know? And sometimes it becomes that the person I'm having in the chair, once I do the research, I realize they have a certain kind of knowledge because of their specific career that no one else has or that no one else has quite as much of. And one of the examples is when we had Daniel Radcliffe on, I couldn't not ask him about how fame changed his life because I feel like there's no one else in modern times, you know, forgetting the Beatles and Elvis and things like that, that, that have dealt with that sort of uh, attention that young. And so he may be the worldwide expert on what it means to lose your private life completely before you have the wherewithal or the experience to know what you're giving up. So with him, I was really curious about that. And I'm sure a lot of people are curious about that with him, but a lot of people don't have an hour to just sort of do it. And so when I hit on something like that, I tend to lean into that. And then the other thing I try to do is I try to ask questions that are going to lead to those things for me. Like if I can't discover it before the person comes on the air, then hopefully I have some questions that, that are going to open that up and then I, and then I can discover something. And, and a good example of that is Michael Shannon, where through talking about his childhood a little bit, I discovered that he was a loner and a real classic case. And I think that when you are that way, it tends to give you a focus on your craft and your career that maybe others don't. Because oftentimes, I think actors, they're beset with an unusual amount of charisma. And so you don't find a lot of loners in the acting business. And when you find one, it's like, well, how did that make your career different? So with each person, I guess I'm trying to find a little bit of a larger theme that, that can be relatable and that can be uh, beneficial to me just learning about their experience and and that selfish part is a big part of it it really is like if I'm having a director on I am literally getting my list of questions answered for the next time I'm on set and I want to know how Richard Linklater did it you know what I mean so yeah part of it is personal curiosity that I hope translates to an audience and the other part is is trying to find that one thing that that person may be unwittingly an expert at so that sort of drives it but you know, truthfully, oftentimes you just have to sit down and start reading about them and watching and get your brain moving and see what comes up. But if you start from a place of curiosity, it, it usually works out. Well, do you typically photograph them first, then have the conversation, or do you do the reverse? I, I photograph them after, always. Interesting. And the reason I do that, it, part of it's a time thing. I mean, we ask for so much time for these people, and we can always take a short amount of pictures versus... Yeah the fact that we have an hour of airtime to fill. But the other part of that is that I can make a better picture after I know somebody. So Yeah, I agree. Uh, and I think it's kind of fun for an audience to see the getting to know part 
on camera in terms of the conversation. You know, yeah. one of the things that I like about this show is watching someone slowly sort of drop their reservations and sort of open up and, and realize they're, even though there's cameras on, they're having a real conversation. I agree. I feel like the conversation, I think that's why I like it so much because I feel like it's not, you know, a chat show where they have their six minutes to plug their thing and they have to hit certain beats and the person having a conversation with them has to hit certain beats. It's such a natural conversation. And it was interesting when Aquafina won at the Golden Globes. I just was struck by the conversation you had with her and just her acceptance speech and just, you know, I know you guys talked about that movie and it was just, it was just really, it was really, um, just felt like a closer moment if that can even be possible when you're watching someone you've never met before win an award. But I just knew from hearing her talk to you how much that movie meant to her and it really was genuine. You know, sometimes I, you know, you wonder if people win awards, you know, how truly genuine they can be in that moment. You know, I felt from her like, hey girl, I, I heard you. I, I know how genuine this of a moment that that is for you. So it was just, it was really cool. Well, that, that makes me feel good because that's exactly what I'm trying to do on the show. And what is often overlooked is that those five or six minute appearances shortchange not only the audience, but they shortchange the celebrity as well. I agree. Because that person doesn't get a chance to be themselves. And I got to say, it warms my heart that you watch the Golden Globes and Aquafina has a speech and you feel like you know her because that means we're doing our job on the show, which is we're sort of trying to find the human side of anybody and, and not look at these people as, as famous people, but as, as crafts people who have, who have worked so hard to do what they do and, and are so very human that they can actually transfer human emotions to other people in their art. So I have a tremendous admiration for the work and the discipline and the, the talent that these people have. And, and it is sort of a shame that they're seen as sort of entertainment fodder first mm-hmm. and for their art second. Because we would never look at someone that way who made, you know, who made furniture. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but because they're put up on screen or whatever, we judge them in a different way. And I'm, I'm so glad to hear that you had that experience. And I appreciate you calling in and, and telling me. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thanks again. This this was a thrill, so I appreciate it. Thanks, Jennifer. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Oh, that was very nice. Hey, folks. Time to take another little break from the calls and keep people on hold for a little longer while I tell you about one of this week's sponsors, Lightstream. So if you're like me, you've probably had a moment in your life where you had to finance some things on your credit card, whether those are college loans or in my case, you wanted to buy a camera or a car payment or whatever it is. Credit cards can be a slippery slope. They're easy to get, they're easy to start charging on, and they're a little harder to pay off. Well, the holidays are over, it's a brand new year, and if you're thinking about the high interest credit cards you used over the holidays and the bills that will be coming, here's an idea to ease your mind. With Lightstream, you can pay off your credit card balances and save with a credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream. Lightstream's credit card consolidation loans have rates as low as 5.95% APR with auto pay, which is much lower than the national average interest rate, which can be over 20%. That's crazy. Plus, there are absolutely no fees, no application fees, no origination fees, no transaction fees, no prepayment penalties. There's just no fees. And the application is so quick and easy, you can apply right from your phone. Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a better loan experience, and that's exactly what they deliver. So here's what you do. 
Just for the listeners of Off Camera, you can apply now to get a special interest rate discount. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash camera. That's L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash camera. So if you think you're paying too much interest on your credit cards and you just want to consolidate all your loans into one payment, Lightstream has solutions for you. Now I'm going to read the disclaimer because I love doing that. Subject to credit approval rate includes 0.5% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash camera for more information. Now let's get back to the call-in show. All right, I'm going to take another call. This is Josh. Is that Josh yeah. online too? Okay. Josh online too. Hey, Josh, it's Sam. Thanks for, uh, thanks for waiting on hold. Hey, what's up, Sam? How you doing, brother? Good. Where are you calling from? Uh, I'm actually on the road to Santa Monica for an audition, but I live in Burbank. Oh, nice. Okay. It's our second local caller of the show. We talked to someone from West Hollywood earlier. Nice. So, you, so you're an actor, obviously, and you're on your way to an audition. That's kind of exciting. I know, second one of the year, so that's a great way to start 2020. Nice. What's it? What's the part? You know, it's like, the character's name is Michael. I wasn't given a lot other than it's a comedy. I don't even know if it's a short or commercial. It's just one of those kind of obscure postings um, that my agent got and submitted me for. Wow. That, what a crazy, like, I've never been an actor and I don't know what that's like, but it's like you're going into some situation you have no idea and you just sort of have to count on the fact that you are enough, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's like, it's, sometimes you lie to yourself. You're like, I got this, I got this. But inside, you're like, dude, I do not got this. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Where are you from originally? You know, actually, my dad was a pastor for a Methodist church, and they like to move their pastors a lot. So I kind of lived the military kid life, where I lived in like eight different states before I ended up in Houston. And uh, after getting pulled by Hurricane Harvey, it sort of made me like reconsider what I want to do in life, because I didn't have a home, and I'm bouncing around like FEMA hotels, and like, this is what I really want for my life as a musician. So long story short, I eventually moved here four months ago because this is what I want to do. You know, that's fascinating because I, I forget who it was, but we had someone on the show that they asked their acting coach, some famous acting coach, what it was if there was any common trait that actors have. And they talked about divorce being one thing that produces a lot of actors. But the biggest thing that produces a lot of actors and creative people are people who didn't have a... Um, a steady home life or, or a, grew up in one place. The people who moved around a lot are much better at handling this lifestyle. So there you go. Maybe you, maybe you already have your secret weapon. There we go. I'm in good company. Well, what, what did you want to ask me about? Yeah, so I was moving here and I have a lot of goals, obviously, but the one thing that's hard for me to tackle is finding a mentor, a professional mentor, as an actor or even like director or writer, just someone in this industry that, you know, is where you want to be or like steps ahead of you going towards the same goal. And I didn't know if you had any advice on how to find those people networking, um, going to the right after parties or I don't know. Well, you know, it's funny. I think that I've had a bunch of mentors from afar that have never known they were my mentor, but I studied them so much that I sort of felt like I knew them. And by studying somebody, you can actually learn a lot about their career. So that's one way to do it, is to just identify some people and really dig into their backstory and, and the choices they made and how they went about doing it. But the other thing is, if there's somebody that you really admire and you feel like there's a relevant connection to what they've done and what you're trying to do, I don't think there's anything wrong with writing somebody a letter and, and just saying, you know, telling them how you feel about their career and why it relates to you and if they ever had a moment to meet with you or whatever. There's, there's no harm in asking that. And I think, obviously, you've got to have your expectations in line. If your mentor is Tom Hanks, you're probably not going to go have dinner with him. <laughs> 
Yeah. But if you're in a, you know, if you're in an acting community or a theater community and you're auditioning for things and there's a theater director or an actor that is somebody who you really admire who would maybe be flattered and helpful and all that stuff, I think that's a really good thing to do. And I think the subtext of that is to find a community to be a part of and that community has those connections and those friends. I don't think it has anything to do with after parties or anything like that, to tell you the truth. I think all the best relationships come from work and putting your head down and doing the work and getting involved in situations where you are helping out or, you're, or someone's helping you. You know, if, if, if you agree to be in someone's short film or you agree to go read lines with somebody or help them do a showcase for their one-act play that's they're in the process of writing or you sit down and do you know, a read-through of somebody's script. Those are the way that you build honest relationships with people. You know, I've got a couple friends who are actors and, you know, they both started sort of together and then one of their careers took off and that relationship stayed very strong even though one actor is still struggling and the other one is very, you know, very successful. So I think that you just surround yourself with people who you're working with and, and making yourself available to opportunities and that stuff will happen naturally. And just be honest with people. Just tell them where you are in your career and what you're trying to do. And, and, uh, and don't be the creepy guy who's like trying to coolly write someone an email and you're going to buy them a beer and this and that, because that never works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can't do everything over email and text and Instagram messages. You, sometimes, some things you got to go out and do the, the real way, face to face. Yeah, totally. Well, hey, Josh, good luck and um, good luck with your audition. All right, thanks. All right, bye, Josh. Gosh, this time is flying by. I love talking to people. I, I love that all these artists call in and they're all wanting to get some place with their career and they're at various stages of commitment and risk and kind of fascinating. I, I love that Josh was on the phone on the way to an audition and he's calling us. It's, it's kind of cool. Um, Let's take another call. We got Nicole on line three. Nicole on line three. I feel like I could really have a career in radio, like live radio. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm really good at saying, we got Nicole on line three, and then I push the button. Yeah, that's sort of what it is. Before Nicole leaves. All right. (laughs) Hi, is this Nicole? Yes. Hi, Nicole. Oh my God, Nicole. Sorry. Hi, it's Sam. Where are you calling from, Nicole? I'm having a little bit of a hard time hearing from you. Are you saying you're calling from your job? Sound like you're yeah. calling from like in a hello, hello. under under a blanket in a basement. Oh, there you are. Okay, now we can hear you. Oh my God, I can't believe I'm talking to you. This is a dream alone. Listen, if this is your dream, you, my suggestion to you is to dream bigger. But I appreciate I appreciate that. Where are you calling from? What what city? I live in New York City now. Nice. But I, I am from Michigan. You know, I love Michigan. I love the Upper Peninsula. It's beautiful. It is. I, I've spent a little time up there, and it's a place I always want to go back to, except for the uh, bugs. I don't like the bugs. Yeah. The black flies. Of New York, the New York City bugs are actually scarier, so I'll take the Michigan bugs. <laughs> right. Should we have a discussion about bugs in different cities? or? Should we... <laughs> now that I have you, we have to talk about the bugs of the Americas. What what is your job that you're currently hiding from? <laughs> I work in publishing. Can, can you say the publisher you work for? Oh, I don't know. Would that be bad? I don't. I don't think so. Um, I mean, we're not like a yeah. a legal show or anything. 
Sorry, I'm like shaking. Um, <laughs> Cambridge University Press. Oh, very hoity-toity. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. You must be a, an academic of high regard. Yes. And, you know, it's nice that an academic can still get this, uh, this nervous on a phone call. I like that. Usually, I'm the nervous one around anyone academic or studious. <laughs> but that's the thing. I don't really fit in, if you could tell. <laughs> well, I appreciate you calling, and what did you want to ask me? Um, I wanted to ask you, so I did move to New York to pursue acting. Okay. And... Don't tell your job To that. be... I know, I know. They know, though. Like, okay. They, it's obvious. But it's hard because I moved here almost two years ago, and I kind of fell into this job as well. Um, I started off as a receptionist, and now I'm climbing the corporate ladder, and I was trying to climb... The acting ladder. <laughs> right. So my question is, like, it's scary to quit a job that, you know, it's expensive to live in New York. And as much as I'm like, yeah, I'm going to, like, go full out and have a job that's more flexible, it's just really scary. But I also don't want to be, like, living in New York, working to live here type thing. No, I hear your conundrum. I think it's one of those things that successful people often find themselves falling into, which is maybe you're a little more risk adverse than other people, but you're super talented. And so, of course, the minute that Cambridge University Press discovered they had a talented receptionist, they started moving you up. The good news with that is that you're probably very talented and able to have success in any field. The bad news about that is that, yeah, it's scary to take a risk and to take a sure thing and cast it aside for a very low probability thing. How old are you? I'm 28. So you're still in your 20s. That's the good news. And you probably don't have... <laughs> Barely. You probably don't have kids yet, right? Are you, do you have kids or married or anything? No. And you don't have any giant debts, right? No, I'm doing pretty good. Okay. So I would say you have to look inside your gut and find out if you really are an actor and if you really want to do that. And if you do, the answer is really clear. you got to go do it. But, but only you can know that. Um, I, I would say that I would imagine that if you went out and put your head down for you know, a, a number of years and it didn't work out, you probably have the ability to go get right back to where you are now. Yeah. It's, not, it's not like you're in a situation where you have to make money right now. So I don't know. It's one of those things where no one can tell you what to do. <laughs> and you want someone to tell you what to do, right? But, yeah. then, but then if someone told you what to do, then it wouldn't be your decision. So I would look at this as an opportunity to be the architect of your own life. Yes. That is, and I feel like in every aspect of my life, I always want someone to tell me what to do. I mean, that's, you know, like, this is the right choice. But there is no right way of going about it, which I've learned I'm listening to your show. Everyone does it differently. I think that everybody feels that way. My dad said to me once, I asked him something like what he thinks he's best at. And my dad said he was really good at once he made a decision, he didn't look back. He just sort of closed a door and didn't go back and try to open it up again or question why he closed it or anything. And whether that's true or not, I think that that is a quality I wish I had more of and probably most people wish they had more of, which is that look, you know, life is short and you don't want to, I think regrets are worse than failures. That's what I'll tell you. Yes. 
Yes. Wow. And that is such an incredible quality. I feel like all I do is look back. <laughs> I'm like, did I make the right choice? Well, the beautiful thing is that you can change that, right? You can, you can yeah. design however you want to be. But what you don't want to be is 50 years old and you've got kids and debt or whatever, whatever's going on in your life once you know how your life turned out. You don't want to wonder what if. And I never, I never found out, you know? Yes, that is so true. And it's just crazy how, like, I've almost been at this company for two years and it's like, how did that happen? I moved to New York to be an actress and it's just, it's time flies and you can't be too cautious. No, you can't. Although maybe that's your answer too. You know, only you know. Only you know the answer. But I, I am very curious as to how that turns out for you. And I think that what you're going through right now, honestly, we get a couple letters like this a week. And I think that everybody's going through it. And so take some solace in the fact that it's, it's the hardest thing in the world to make a decision like that. But, you know, the show has been filled with guests who rolled the dice and took massive risk. So send me an email when you, when you make a decision and then... <gasps> You know, because I know some people who are looking for a sweet publishing gig, and maybe there'll be an opening at uh, <laughs> Yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. I literally can't believe I'm talking to you right now. This, again, is my dream. So I guess I've made it. So I can make risks now because I've made it. And <laughs> That's right. And once again, dream higher. Set your goals higher. I'm pretty much available all the time. So if that's your dream, like maybe you should, maybe your dream should be to get an acting lesson from Meryl Streep. That'd be a better dream. Ooh. Right? I mean, that's like a step below talking to you. <laughs> now, Just kidding, Meryl. Now I know that I'm kidding, Paul. Someone, someone owes you money. Um, hey, thanks for calling. And really, you know, let me know how it turns out. And um, I will. You know, I wish I was in your position. I wish I could tell you how young 28 sounds and how free really? 28 felt compared to when you get older and how not having kids yet or not being married yet, how really you can do whatever you want right now. Really? So, oh, man. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, I'm about to, like, be too old to be, like, the babysitter next door, you know? <laughs> Everybody thinks they're too old no matter yeah. where they are in their life, and it's just not right. true. So good luck. I hope you, I hope you decide and hope you figure it out. I'm thank pulling for you. you. Thank you for being so nice and such a thoughtful response. And yeah, this is the best. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Good luck, Nicole. Don't get fired. I know. I know. Maybe I don't know what will happen after this. I hang up. But <laughs> All right. Bye. You know, one of the things I do on this show is tell people to quit perfectly good jobs <laughs> in pursuit of an almost impossible career. I, you know, I, you guys know this. We get so many letters like that. Yeah. We have so many people that are like, I have this insurance job and it has benefits and I've got a good salary, but what I really want to do is act. And I, I, you know, I don't know how to tell people what to do in that juncture because sure. it's such an impossible career. But how do, you, how do you tell someone not to go for their dreams? Yeah. And, and I think it's one of the most common things, especially at that stage in your life. Like, Am I really settling into what I'm going to do for the rest of my life versus am I going to take a total risk? And it gets harder. That decision gets harder every year you get older. Totally. That's good, though. You don't realize how much time you have when you're you don't. and single. I, I often yeah, feel age. like, you know, I traveled so much in my 20s for work. And I would go over to Europe and do photo shoots. And I would finish the shoot and I would fly back the next day because 
I had something going on back here in Los Angeles. I look back now and I'm like, I was all the way in Europe. Why didn't I just stay for a week on someone else's dime? You know, like I didn't realize the time I had. Yeah. If you have time, use it. Should we take another call? Um, we should we give out some more bad advice? We should, <laughs> we should see who else we can tell. Is there anyone else that wants to quit their job and just needs a little push from me over the edge? Hey folks, let's take a little break from the phone calls so I can tell you about one of this week's sponsors, Native. Did you know that many conventional deodorants contain aluminum, which forms a plug in your sweat glands to keep you from sweating? I did not know that was how deodorant worked, by the way, and that sounds gross, because how do you get the plug out? Yikes. Native's deodorant is made without aluminum, so you can feel better about what you're putting on your body. Well, that's what they told me to read, so that's what I read, but what I will tell you is that I've been using Native deodorant now since they became a sponsor because I'm gonna try anything. Basically, I'll try anything that anyone sends here, but I love this deodorant. And I don't know if I got any plugs left under my arms, but what I do know is that the smell, the fact that it doesn't feel oily or sticky or weird, and the fact that it feels natural has changed my whole deodorant thing that I've done for many, many years, which is basically I use my dad's deodorant not his actual stick, but the brand he uses, because what do you do? You're a kid, you're like, oh, that's what your dad uses, that's what you use. But since I've tried Native, it's my new deodorant. And I love the choices of scents that you can get with Native. I am so not like a medicine-y or floral or perfumey or musky or any of those kind of smells that are normally associated with deodorant. I like to smell like either the beach or like a good snack. So, I love their cucumber and lime. I love their coconut and vanilla, and the eucalyptus and mint, and their cucumber and mint. And I haven't tried their lavender and rose, but I'm sure it's great, because all the other ones are great. And I think you should try Native. Not only does it not have aluminum in it, but it works the exact same as my old deodorant, or even better, because I don't smell, I'm not sweating all over the place, but I also don't feel like I'm putting on some weird stuff that's putting a weird ingredient into my body. So I'm just telling you right now on this show, I'll be using Native for long after they stop sponsoring us, which hopefully is never. But anyway, here's their deal. They have a wide variety of options for men, women, and even teens. And they also offer an unscented option and a baking soda-free formula for those with sensitivities. So they're a company that's really paying attention to not only how you smell, but what the long-term effect is on the environment and on your body. And best of all, there's no risk to try Native. There's free shipping on every order, and Native offers a free 30-day return and exchanges in the USA. They have over 9,000 five-star reviews from happy customers like me who made the switch to Native, and now is a perfect time to try it because Native is offering a special deal for off-camera listeners. And that is, Native is offering 20% off your first purchase. You just visit nativedeodorant.com and use the promo code OFFCAMERA during checkout. What that does is it gets you your 20% off, it lets them know that you found out about Native through our podcast, and it's just a great way to support the show. So no matter if you're satisfied with your deodorant or not, I urge you to try Native. So that's once again, 20% off your first purchase by visiting nativedeodorant.com and using the promo code OFFCAMERA during checkout. Now back to the show. 
Should we take another call? Do we have enough time for another uh, call? We do. We got Cedric on line four. Oh, well, we know Cedric. For all you listeners, Cedric has been a loyal listener from off camera, and he is a prolific letter writer yes. who's written me letters, I would say, after over half the guests that have come on. And he's an author, he's an Uber driver, he is a counselor and a big brother, and he's got a really interesting story. I love this guy. So let's talk to Cedric. Is this the great Cedric, the good wolf? It is. <laughs> How you doing, buddy? Good to hear from you. I'm good, buddy. It's been a rough year, but uh, I'm still chopping. These kids are keeping me going, man. That's good. Where are you right now? Sacramento. Yeah, and it's been a rough year? It's been a rough one, yeah. Yeah, I had to do a lot of reflecting, a lot of growth, got into therapy. When I got into it, I was 50. And she's like, well, how many times have you been to therapy? I was like, none. And then she said, <laughs> Well, how do you cope with stress? I'm like, I'm hoping you're going to show me, you know, because it's been a rough road, man. But I am so much better. My marriage is so much better. And I just really called Sam to just let you know, like, how important your show is to not only me, but to other people. And I've kind of put everything in perspective. And uh, whatever happens, happens at this point, I'm fine. If the Goodwill sells four books or four million books, I'm not really worried about it. I had some other stuff I had to work out, and uh, I'm kind of defining myself with my success, which is a very dangerous thing to do because you never know. It's kind of a crapshoot, you know. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's so inspiring to hear you talk about at this age and at this stage in your life that you are going to therapy and working on yourself because that stuff never stops. No matter how old yeah, we yeah. get, we still, we each new stage of life brings us new challenges. And, you know, and I, I want to take a minute and thank you, Cedric, because I don't always write back to your emails because, you know, that would be a full-time job. But right. that's, a, <laughs> that's a joke. I love getting your emails and it is flattering that you pay so much attention to the show and to what the guests have to say. And oftentimes we read your letters out loud over here because you have some insight into who that person was that they may not even know. And I've just enjoyed the relationship over the years of you, of you watching this show and you know, sending me in you know, various correspondence. So I appreciate it. And it's nice to hear from you. And I'm sorry you had a hard year, but I'm glad to hear that you're working on yourself. Yes, it was a hard year. It was probably the best and the worst year of my life, you know. And in many ways, like, you know, you carry these demons with you around, and eventually you got to, they're either going to eat you up or you got to sit them down. And, uh, like, my father went through a similar thing at 50. He kind of went the other direction. He got into some, some other stuff. And, um, you know, my uncles, and, you know, it's just been a rough road, man, but it's, it's a good road now, and I'm, I feel a lot better, and, and my wife is better, and my marriage is better, and, you know, so. That's great news. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to, like, kiss your junk and stuff, but it, you've been a huge Nobody wants that. part of it, man. Oh, God, that's really nice to hear, Cedric. I appreciate yeah, it's that. Awesome, it's awesome, dude. Yeah, just keep doing your thing, and like I said, save me a spot, because I'll be on your show one day, you can believe that. Whenever this, these crazy books take off, and it's been seven years, and just knowing from your show, it might take another seven more, you know, but I'll just be patient, and I'm, I'm blessed and humbled by anything that you guys have done, and, and if my emails have brightened your day, I know it's kind of a grind. Uh, I won't stop sending them if you don't stop reading them. It's a deal. 
And you know what? I think that if half the people listening to this show and trying to do anything in the arts had your ability to stick to it, they would be much better off because I, I know that you have a pretty full life with kids and a job and everything, and you've also found time to actually write novels, and that's an impressive feat. And I like what you said about not judging your life by success, but judging it by how you feel, and that's a really important thing, and you're a much more enlightened man than most people that step into therapy. And I can tell from the way you write, yeah. so thanks for calling in, Cedric, and it's, it's really good to hear not your voice. Yeah. Yeah, All right, man. Sure All right. Said hi. Take care. Take care. I will. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> I love hearing from Cedric. Yeah. It seems like that might be a good place to leave the calls. Well, you know, whenever I finish one of these call-in shows, it is such a great reminder of who our listeners are and that the stuff that they're going through and the things they're pursuing are the same things I'm going through and the same things that the guests are going through. And if we've done anything on this show, I hope it's that we've shown that the chasm between the successful and the non-successful is less of a distance than what people think it is. And that, you know, especially in the arts, you're only as good as the last thing you did and that often with success comes more anxiety and more fear. And there's really not a huge difference in talking to these folks for the last couple hours on the phone than there is talking to people in the chair. If there's anything I'm really grateful for on Off Camera, it's that it's kind of proven to me that we're all humans and we're all sort of kind of going through the same stuff. Some people just have more beach houses than others. <laughs> right, Nate? How many beach houses do you have? Uh, I've got a couple. Got yeah. a couple. Yeah. They're just like a cost right now. I never, right. You never get to them. <laughs> you, you never even get a chance to spend time in them. Exactly. Yeah, I was talking to your maid the other day, and she was like, God... I'm like the fifth maid on Nate's list to call. At I, least I, they get to live at the beach house. Right. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, that's really fun. I'm glad we get to do this. And I feel so lucky I get to do this show and so lucky that I'm surrounded by people that I really love, that I work with. Uh, KK and Sasha aren't here and Kara right now, but what an opportunity this has been over the last six years to talk to people I admire so much and then have people listen to it and have it in some way affect their lives. Like, if you told me I'd be doing this six years ago or that I'd still be doing it, it it's shocking. And, and it sort of is the lesson that you have no idea what's coming up in your life. You think you know, but then you take a little tiny left turn. Off camera at the start was a little tiny left turn. It was a little no-risk experiment with one friend and a couple microphones and a, a couple cameras. And that was it, and it's turned into this. So I wanna thank everyone who called in today, and I wanna thank everyone who's listening. If you wanna find out more about what we do on Off Camera, the best place to go to is offcamera.com. We have our television subscription package there so you can see what you've been hearing. We have all 219 episodes available for streaming, and you can watch them as many times as you'd like on any device you have. And it's a great way to dive into the show. Uh, you can also see us on DirecTV's Audience Network, channel 239 if you have DirecTV. Obviously, you can hear us on this podcast. And if you don't subscribe to the podcast, I would suggest you take a minute now, go to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, and that way you'll never miss another episode. It'll just be delivered right into your feed. You can also reach us on social media. We are Off Camera Show at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I am Sam Jones on Twitter and Sam Jones Pictures on Instagram. So if you want to get a little more behind the scenes and a little more in touch with the show or if you want to tweet about us or tell your friends about us or suggest a guest or anything like that, then social media is a great way to do that. You can send me an email. 
I'm Sam at offcamera.com. And, you know, we're on our little hiatus between seasons, but like I said, I love hearing from our listeners and it reminds me why I do this show and it inspires me to be creative and, uh, boy, what a, what a treat to talk to all these people. And um, thank you, everybody. See you next time off camera.